It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hello, hello, and welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone, to the first full episode of Miked Up from the Charleston Activist Network. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden, and I'm super excited to be here with you all. I'm excited to be starting this podcast journey with you and hope that you'll grow as I grow. Uh, But before we jump right into today's show, I wanted to quickly explain to all of you that may be listening exactly what this podcast is aiming to do. It's pretty simple. I, like many of you out there listening, have been moved to do more and get active within this past year. In the face of so much tumult, uncertainty, and abrupt transition, I thought it would be cool to create a show that helped to inspire folks to create positive change within their own communities. To me, activism has never been just one thing. I know it to be true that activism can take on many different forms. And knowing this, knowing that the fact that all of us own unique and special gifts, I wanted to empower folks here in Charleston and throughout the Palmetto State to tap into those unique gifts and talents to have your own voices heard. I also aim to amplify the voices of the marginalized living among us who are often silenced. I want to invite as many folks as possible to share their stories of community engagement and use this mic to help bring our Low Country family together to solve problems as a collective because this show is just as much about you as it is about anything that I may say or do. So just as I was preparing to create content to kick off this podcast, I was met with an amazing opportunity. I got to speak with a true son of Charleston someone who's using his own gifts to lift up a very important aspect of South Carolina's history, and that's the Gullah culture. You know, I get excited and forget to eat breakfast and all this other stuff, and I'm like, whoa, I did not realize how hungry I was until just now. (laughs) But yeah, I didn't, um, you know, I I love black people. Meet son Michelle, a native of Mount Holly, South Carolina an area just north of Goose Creek. Sun is a well-known artist, activist, and social commentator with a robust social media following. Sun recently made headlines when news broke about his appointment as language educator at Harvard University. Not too long after reading about his endeavor, Sun reached out and invited me to learn more about both himself and this amazing new opportunity. So listen along as I drive and walk to the neighborhood where Sun was raised. We pick up our conversation shortly after grabbing a bite to eat at the local drive-in. We're accompanied by his niece, Natalie, who also grew up around this area. Together, the two take me on a journey back to Sun's roots. You see, Sun's new position at Harvard will require him to draw heavily from the sights, sounds, customs, and flavors of his youth, a youth steeped in rich Gullah culture and tradition. This, this, I saw Ether, so this is literally your grandmother. That's, like, Ether is literally my grandmother. Wow. Her namesake, that's her on that sign. 
this all used to be where we played. This all used to be where we, we would hunt and play and this was all woods. Mm. Growing up in this community, the kids at schools mm-hmm. would call this the hole because of the way that the moss and everything hang over in an arch in the trees. Mm. To them, it looked like some sort of scary thing. Like they would dare each other to go to the end of the schoolyard, <laughs> see who'd be willing to go the furthest into, you know, the hole. Mm-hmm. Like a tunnel. Like yeah, <laughs> and, and we're sitting there looking like, wait a minute, we live on that road. Like that's <laughs> stupid. You know, right. and no different than any other. As we continue our drive through newer neighborhoods on our way to Sun's family property, we find ourselves on a dirt road. The shift from modern day suburbia to a more simpler form of country life is abrupt, but it is familiar. If you have spent any significant amount of time in Charleston, Sun's family story will sound a lot like many others. Areas like Johns Island, Edisto, Red Top, and James Island have all witnessed rapid growth spread like wildfire. In areas that were once completely rural and almost exclusively occupied by African Americans, development is occurring at a rapid pace. The white schools or whatever, that's why. Um, these are all family members, all of these. And um, this land has been in our family since the 1800s. Wow. And is, is it at risk? I mean, other yes. than obviously, yeah. Yes, yes. It's it, that, that's most of what you're seeing going in. None of it was there. Mm-hmm. And um, these are all cousins. Oh, wow. Even that dog is my mama's dog's mama. <laughs> <laughs> None of there when it, we were just here. Mm-hmm. Wow! It's so new, even Natalie hadn't seen it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's remarkable. They're throwing these places up, these neighborhoods up, mm-hmm. and this is happening in all. For the most part, most Gullah communities are experiencing the same thing of urban sprawl and gentrification coming in, um, family members taking land, um, either selling land or them taking it. Um, At once we used to live in that trailer, um, then started building up this. Behind there, if you want to... Son, Natalie, and I hop out of Son's pickup truck. We begin what is more like an informal tour of his family property. I noticed almost immediately that this area, tucked away quietly off of a country road, is somewhat in a perpetual state of pause. To my left, son's boyhood home. Directly in front of me, new construction. The grass around us has grown into a lush, untamed sea of green. With each step we take, the only sounds you really hear are our own voices, the birds and planes flying above us, and the sounds of twigs snapping with each step. That's it. And though you can see the signs of overdevelopment just yards away, this place feels as if it's still waiting, waiting for its rightful owners to return and call it home again. 
had like the had fruit trees, cherry trees, pine tree, persimmon trees, uh, hickory nut, mm-hmm. uh, different types of fruit trees <clears throat> where we would get um, blackberries, um, all of those things right here um, in the yard, literally in the yard. And everything all organic, um, organic. And it's, I, there's an irony because when we were at our porous, um, we were eating food that we probably couldn't afford by today's standards. Right. <laughs> because it was, we were growing it right out there in, um, in the yard. Um, we had a, our own well, that um, well water that we would pump from, um, straight from the ground, not, a, not city water. And it was the cleanest, mm-hmm. purest <laughs> you know, water that I've ever tasted in my life came sprang straight from the ground. You get to still feel a sense of how the way things used to be, okay. and I think that's a part of um, what I want to maintain is that sense of the way things used to be. And um, even when I do decide to to, to build a new um, new structures on it for the family, I want to make sure that we still have some semblance of that left over. Um, you know, because depending on how much it's, it's worth to uh, the city or worth to developers or whatever, then is besides the point. But I, there's not enough money they can pay me for it to be worth, you know, mm-hmm. trading off land that was in my family since the 1800s. After a long walk and conversation with Son, and after learning more about his upbringing and how that has informed his work, we head back to his pickup truck. That's where I ask him about his goals as Gullah instructor within Harvard University's African language program and how he thinks this new position will impact Gullah culture back here at home. We're just making it accessible for anyone who'd want to. Yeah, well, it, it shouldn't just be inspiring, but also accessible. You need to, to feel like me doing it isn't proof that I can do it. It's also proof that you can do it. Mm. Because sometimes, some people are just exceptional to a point where they come across as anomalous. Like, that's that's just, that person's just a glitch in the matrix. You know, if they're writing compositions, ca- classical compositions at seven years old or whatever like that, well, that's, no one's going to do that. And, and so we can't really relate to their achievements. They're seen as something that's separate from us and they may motivate us and inspire us but it doesn't really make us do our best it just kind of makes us sit back and admire them and I didn't do this to be admired I didn't do this to be something that you know people would look at as proof that I could do it but something that would make them feel like they could do it like I said you know my my older sister um, was the first college graduate in our family the first person to actually go to college in our family. and But even making sure that all of our siblings graduated from high school was an achievement because in the, pre, the generation previous to that, not everybody even graduated from high school. So that began a series of, you know, her not being the only one. That's important. She was the only college graduate. She was the first co- um, college graduate. And that began a process of us getting more and more into education to the point where we now have multiple family members who, in, who are in ed- the educational field in some capacity. And that's a family that at one point in time was predominantly making its living as manual laborers are now using our minds um, to progress in this world as opposed to just our bodies, which may break down. 
you know, and as long as we keep our minds sharp, then we can always contribute. And a large portion of that was based on my sister being the one who spearheaded the intellectual movement in our family to essentially be a part of the the impetus that got me where I am now. You know, I don't know that I would have even felt like this was feasible years later had I not had an example um, to show me that, yes, you can come from these backwoods, go out into the city and make something of yourself, get a degree, come back and be of service to your community. So you want like your work at Harvard to be a blueprint for others, just like like your sister was? Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to be a testament that we are capable of doing more than what they tell us we can. We were never dumb. We were never... We were, and, and just so people will say, oh, well... We were banned from getting education. We weren't banned from getting education. We were banned from getting access. The access in, in those things were encoded in, in their own language, encoded in the information that they decided was going to, going to be education. If I decide that you need to know, um, you know, ABC in order to be educated, but you don't even have ABC in the language that you spoke before I captured you and put you in bondage, now suddenly you who might have been literate in your own language are suddenly illiterate because you don't speak the language of your captor? That doesn't make any, any logical sense. And so what ended up happening is before, we were looking at the language barrier between us and, and our oppressor as something wrong with them. Like we weren't speaking their language, but we looked at their language as foreign. Somewhere along the line, our own language became foreign. And so once they believe, had us believe that our own language was foreign, um, we distanced ourselves from, in many cases, from Gullah by way of code switching. And some of us literally made the switch. We didn't just um, use one for the other, one in the place of the other for greater access and, and, and uh, you know, because it was expeditious us to do so in order to be able to move about in the world where people spoke a different language. No, because Spanish people who speak you know, are bilingual, they still speak Spanish at home. They still speak Spanish with their family members. Whereas in black households, we were told to not speak Gullah at all. Like, period. And, you know, um, there's this, there's a little bit of classism in that as well. I think a lot of classism. Yeah, Yeah. to to be honest, um, it's not, it's not just racism, but but even within the, the community, um, it's kind of hard to be completely racism-free when you in, you are in a white power structure, right. where it informs even your non-race-related decisions. Right. I think people think of um, in terms of what a people might face. They think along the lines of simply white supremacy, and I guess maybe one or two forms. But oppression uh, manifests in so many different ways. Yeah. And taking your language or telling you that your language is dumb or it sounds, uh, you know, primitive. I think those are ways um, of, of keeping a people oppressed, and right, and class plays into that as well. What do you hope for, like uh, the stewards of Gullah culture here that already exists, uh, the basket weavers, the the play actors, the you know the historians that are already in this area? What do you hope they take away from like your experience with Harvard or, or this journey you're about to embark on? Um, I just want them to know that, you know, I love them, I respect them, I am them, that, you know, we're, you know, parts of the same body, that this isn't, don't allow the Harvard name to put distance between us 
you know, as family, as kin, as as persons who are all a part of the same um, same community. Whether you're inland um, Gullah, whether you're uh, on the island uh, island Gullah or inland Gullah, um, if you're along that corridor, um, that we're you know the, we're, we're who we've got. You know, I wouldn't say that we're all we got because we've got so much, but you know, we're we're certainly who we've got. And um, I want them to be, you know, as proud of my achievement as their own as I am of their achievements as my own. You know, now, I could probably weave a basket. I don't know how much it would go for. (laughs) (laughs) How it would look. You know, yeah, you know, I mean, I I could do a little something, but I'm I'm not saying it'll be some top shelf shelf basket weaving. Um, and so I'm, I'm proud of, of basket weavers. I'm, I'm proud of the, the artists, the painters, like the, the people who do whatever it is that they do to contribute to the forwarding of Gullah culture. Um, I love that and I brag on them. I boast about them and, and I love showing off our cuisine and the things that we do. And, um, and it's not just showing them off as individuals, but showing off, off our collective abilities and creativity and um yes i would love to be a part of some other kids um you know bragging too i mean some uh, part of their bragging rights and the things that they're doing um you know be, be included with the art and the the, you know, the painting the the music the cuisine um things of that nature i love that and if i can give some other kid the confidence or give some other person not just a kid but give some other gullah person um, a little bit more confidence to be able to say, yeah, we out here. That's why I always, you know, use the hashtag every now and then. Um, I'll use the hashtag, we out here, to let them know, like, look, we doing this. We out here making moves. And, um, you know, like a friend of mine used to say, um, he said, you can either roll with us or sit there and rust. <laughs> you know, and that's his, his, his mantra is like, look, you know, we out here making these moves and out here doing our thing. And it's like, we're here. And and I love that that simple turn of phrase, like, you know, affirming our presence and our value. And if I can be a part of that, great. Because that's what inspired me to get where I am. And I feel like if I can give something back to that energy, then that's just essentially paying forward um, what got me here and we can use that to create a synergy to move even forward to the next generation because that's really what it's all about. So I walked away from my interview with Son with a greater understanding of not just who he is, but how who he is has enabled him to blaze this very special path that he's currently on. I also walked away learning that the very act of this Goose Creek native instructing a course on Gullah at Harvard, it serves as as a disruption. And that's what this podcast is all about, showing everyone that who you are and where you're from and your special gifts can can serve as a light, right? It can shine a light on anything. It can bring attention to anything. And the fact that Gullah is at Harvard 
he's in fact bridging a gap. He's what I would call a torchbearer. And we already have so many amazing torchbearers right here in the Low Country. They are our educators, our chefs, our gullah singers, our artisans. They, they've been keeping the flame alive for literally centuries, keeping this language alive, keeping this culture alive. And now we just add son's name to that list. So thank you guys for hanging in there with me. Thank you for making it to the end of the show. I'm so excited. This was a lot of fun creating this first episode. Um, I hope that you continue to hang with me for the next episode. Um, if you want updates on future shows, head to charlestonactivistnetwork.com for updates. You'll also see information on how you can support this podcast via Patreon. Patreon is just a way for you to support us financially to help me continue to bring great content, bring in more people, bring in more help and resources. And um, yeah, so any help you can give, I look forward to it. I say thank you in advance. Um, Also, um, while at Charleston Activist Network, you may see some updates on something very special. As many of you may know, I am the state or the chap, yeah, the state chapter lead for Women's March. Um, it's an officially recognized chapter from National, and we're planning a January 20th rally for electoral justice to coincide with the one-year anniversary of Women's March. So please, uh, you can visit SC Women's March on Facebook for more information or charlestonactivistnetwork.com. You can also follow me at Charleston Activist Network on all three platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So I look forward to seeing you guys. Thank you for your support. See you next time.